Thanks for listening to this sermon recording from Liberty Family Church in Hillsville, Victoria, Australia. All of our sermons are available for free online, and we encourage you to subscribe to our sermon podcast through iTunes or by clicking the button on our website. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, or would like more information about our church, head to www.libertyfamilychurch.net.au. God bless you, and we pray that this sermon recording encourages you and strengthens your faith in Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, thanks so much for the opportunity to share with your church today. My name's Ed Stetzer. I lead the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And uh, what a privilege it is to speak as a guest speaker at your church. I know in the streaming world when we're all living, it's a bit different, but I'm super thankful to be able to share the truth of God's word today because the moment we're in may be kind of confusing and a bit fearful for some people and maybe unsure for others. The moment we're in may be confusing, but the mission we're on is clear and it remains. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll do that by looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. And what I want to talk about specifically today is the title of the message is this. This is our moment to join Jesus on mission. This is our moment to join Jesus on mission. We look at this passage in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. I'll probably make a few comments about it as we walk through it. Let's take a look. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19 says this, on the evening of the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Let me give a little background here, right? So this is Sunday night, the evening of the first day of the week, right? The disciples may have heard or heard rumors or been even told by women who were witnesses that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But here they found themselves with their doors locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of being arrested. And so I don't want you to miss this, right? So the doors locked in fear. So here we are 2,000 years later, the situations are not the same, but there's a lot of us right now who are in lockdown states and places, and there are others who are in places that are unsure if they should go out or engage with others. And in doing so, we're, well, we find ourselves behind closed doors as well. So it says, Jesus came and stood among them. Now he's now risen, right? He's risen from the dead. Soon we'll celebrate he is risen indeed. So he is back from the dead. His body is a bodily resurrected, a physically bodily resurrected body. But there is something different about it because clearly he's now going and appearing behind closed doors. So Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace, this is key, don't you miss this, peace be with you. There's a reason I want you to miss this, right? Well, first of all, if Jesus says something, you should be giving that your full and undivided attention. But Jesus doesn't say that once in this short passage. He actually says it twice. When Jesus says something once, you ought to have your full and undivided attention. When he says something twice, it ought to be something that defines your life. And we're gonna talk more about that in just a moment. It goes on to say, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'm gonna come back to that in a minute and explain why that's important. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, right? I telegraphed that was coming. Peace be with you. And then here's the key part, what we're gonna talk about today. As the Father has sent me, right? As the Father has sent me, 
Even so, I am sending you. Now, that last part is key to the whole point of our message today. You see, right now it feels like the whole world's on pause, but we're not on pause as followers of Jesus. We're on mission. We've got a task to do. We've got a purpose to be about. We've got something to make important. And what's we're going to talk about today, right? So gathering matters, right? The disciples were gathered together. I know for many of us, we wish we could gather together right now, and yet we can't in many, many places. Maybe we're gathering not with feet and faces, but with electrons and avatars. But they were gathered together that first day, and they were afraid, and maybe some people are as well here today. But today's message is really not about uh, gathering. It's actually about scattering and why that matters. Four things I want us to look at today. We'll just go through them one at a time and look through this passage, right? Number one on our outline is this. Fear is always the opposite of faith. Fear is always the opposite of faith. Now, again, let's go back to the passage. This is John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Sunday night, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear. Now, the fear was different then, but there can be fear at different times in different places through 2,000 years of the history of the church. But what we know in the Christian faith, what we know is because of the gospel, what we know, because Jesus has come back from the dead, what we know is that fear is the opposite of faith. Now, what we can see is, and sometimes get a glimpse that people were and are sometimes afraid, yet Jesus always points them to something else. Now, why? Well, let's take a look at Acts chapter one. You're maybe familiar with verse eight, but let's look at verse six. In Acts 1, six, it says, so when they, that's the disciples, had come together, they, disciples, asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that could have just been a question because they were following him for three years and they wanted to know. You would think that they would have a greater sense of clarity from what he taught them. And so it makes you wonder if there's maybe some hint of fear there. Lord, the Romans are still here. Lord, the authorities are trying to arrest us. Lord, will you restore your kingdom to Israel? Whenever in difficult times, people start to wonder, is this the end times and is this it? But here's the thing, even today, we've had 2000 years of Christian history with far more significant illnesses than what we're facing today in 2000 years of Christian history. And yet Christians have remained faithful. And might I also add, they didn't let fear drive them away from the faith that kept them strong. So Jesus actually says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Now think about if you were at work and you put on a committee and you're to plan the annual Christmas or maybe the annual uh, founding of the company day. And you might say, what day are we going to pick, right? And what time are we going to pick? You'd be on the time and date committee. Well, here, Jesus is saying to the disciples, you're not on the time and the date committee. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But then he says what's a little more familiar to us. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when the disciples maybe had a hint of fear or maybe is this the end? Should this be the end? Could this be the end? Jesus said, well, actually it's time for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So in a time when a lot of people are afraid, we need a church that's not afraid. We need a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit, confident in the gospel, bold in this moment that we're in. Because I'm convinced that this moment we're in is going to reveal a lot about who we are as Christians. Had the privilege um, of writing an article for USA Today last week, and the, um, the 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 article kind of began with hopefully something that people would remember. Uh, I, I I called it about the, the masks. The masks are about to come down. Now they change the title. Uh, editors pick titles. The authors don't pick titles. But here's some of what I wrote. I said everyone's looking for masks, even though medical professionals tell us not to. Maybe it helps because we feel a little less helpless. But masks have another purpose. We normally think of them as things to cover who we are, to hide or disguise what we really value. I said, I think that the virus will take off off some masks and help reveal our true selves. A whole lot of masks are about to come down. Now I've noticed, maybe you've noticed, that Christians who uh, might profess a faith that calls men and women to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel, the, the evangel, and sometimes called evangelicals. We've maybe not had the best run or reputation the last couple of years. Well, I'm convinced that the realities of who we are are about to shine through. And I'm convinced that Christians are going to show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting time. When people are afraid, I believe Christians are going to say fear is always the opposite of faith, and they're going to function in faith. Now, let me say why I think this matters. Because right now, your pastor and your leaders and your elders and have had to scramble very quickly when we all heard that we couldn't and shouldn't gather in groups larger than 10 for this uh, prescribed period of time. And it was quite a scramble. And in doing so, it became a, a lot of the focus of our efforts and our energy and kind of felt like a crisis. But I want you not to miss this, right? What we're in right now is not the crisis. The crisis is coming. Now, we don't know how big the crisis will be. We're, we can actually look. I had the privilege of talking earlier this week to uh, pastors and missionaries in Spain and Italy. And uh, one cautioned that you're not paying enough attention to this. One wept in our call and talked about how the system was breaking down. Uh, and we see some of that already in some of our cities, New York City perhaps being the center of much of that today. I'm a, I grew up on Long Island, just outside of New York City, and here are places like the Javits Convention Center turned into a makeshift hospital. That's very significant news. So it depends on where we are, but I want you not to miss this. This moment, unless you're in a few key areas in North America, this moment is not the crisis, but the crisis is coming. But here's the good news, right? For Christians, fear is always the opposite of faith. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not a doctor, and uh, I guess I am a doctor. My daughters tell me, I have three daughters, and they tell me that I'm the kind of doctor that doesn't actually help people. So, uh, so I'm not a physician, but I will tell you, having had the privilege of meeting with Surgeon General Adams just a couple of weeks ago, we were there on other business, talking about HIV AIDS, actually, and the coronavirus by then had come up and sort of made the big news. Well, as he said at the beginning of this past week, He said, this week it's going to get bad. And others have said it's going to get worse. Now, again, I'm not here to spread fear, not at all, because the whole point of my number one in my message is fear is always the opposite of faith. So, But what I want us to grab a hold of is, is that we can't think this is the crisis. We need to hear the words of Jesus. 
we need to walk in peace. We need to have confidence in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then we need to live on mission. And the full measure of this crisis is not yet here. But in preparation, number one, fear is the always the opposite of faith. But number two, peace is always the Christian response. I don't want you to miss this because knowing that peace is the response that Christians have to difficult or troubling circumstances is something that has in some ways defined us and our witness for 2,000 years. Now, again, if we're stepping into a greater sense of crisis, we saw a significant number of job losses already, and there may indeed be more to come. We've seen health challenges, and there may and there probably will be more to come. So if these things are true, how might we respond? Well, actually, let's look to the words of Jesus. Jesus came, it says Jesus came, and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Those four words change everything for the Christian, peace be be with you. And they're told twice, right? So peace be with you. Now, why is that so important? Because the reality is for 2000 years in difficult times, Christians have not been spared from all those difficulties. The actually says when it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust. We don't get to exempt ourselves from all of the difficulties and trials. I wish that were true. I know sometimes we see or hear people say that on on television or something we heard or saw from some teacher, that's not what the Bible teaches. We do go through difficult times. We're going through a difficult time as a nation. We're going through difficult times as a church, but peace is always the Christian response. It's a kind of peace, as a matter of fact. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Look at me at Philippians 4, 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, great phrase, don't miss that, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you right now need a certainty that your heart and your mind will be guarded in Christ Jesus. And that comes from resting in a peace that passes all understanding. Now this really matters because we don't know the challenges that we face. Uh, We don't know what uh, is just before us, but here's what we know. We know upon whom we stand. That's Christ alone, the cornerstone. And in the confidence of knowing that God is in control, that no matter what happens, we can lean upon him and trust in him. So knowing that changes really everything, right? Because why? Fear is always the opposite of faith. Peace is always the Christian response. But number three, uh, the cross is always our hope and our motivation. I want to unpack this some because it's pretty interesting what John, the gospel writer, this biography of Jesus called the gospel of John. It's pretty interesting what John writes here. Let's take a closer look. It says, when he, that's Jesus, had said this, peace to be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Let's, let's drill in just a bit here, right? He said this, peace be with you. He said peace, uh, peace to them. They were glad, but actually it doesn't say he said peace and they were glad. It says he did something between those two. Now here's the deal. They believe Jesus was dead and now he's back. Now that in and of itself, you would think they'd be glad, but there's more to it, right? It says he showed them. He had said this, peace be with you, right? But then there's more. He showed them his hands and his side, Then 
the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Don't miss this. This is not a casual thing. You know, every word in the Bible is there by God's intent and inspiration. Uh, not a casual thing. He could have just shown them, for example, his hands. He could have just said, look at my hands. But he doesn't. He does more than that. I mean, think about a robe they might have worn 2,000 years ago. He makes a point of showing them his side where the spear pierced and blood and water flowed. Now, why? Because I don't want you to miss this, right? It's not just that Jesus was dead and he's back, though that is, of course, the world-changing reality that changes us, that changes ultimately everything. It's not just that. It's that he wanted them to know and to be certain of his resurrection and his crucifixion. Now, again, why is that important? Because here's the reality, right? Um, We can always have hope. I, I actually can't give you any promises, right? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. We are in a time of a great tumult and concern. Some have talked about this as the greatest crisis that our nation has faced since World War II. Most now would say it's a bigger thing than uh, 9-11, as big and significant and as much loss was there. So this is a very big deal. But you know, Christians have been through big deals before. As a matter of fact, in the last century, just about a century ago, um, Christians and lots of other people, non-Christians and others, uh, made it through something called the uh, Spanish flu epidemic. I'm the interim teaching pastor at a church in Chicago called the Moody Church. And I had the privilege of speaking in that room last week. Nobody was there because we were just live streaming as uh, we're able to as essential personnel. Um, But I stood in that room and I reminded people that a century earlier, Paul Rader stood in that same room during the Spanish flu epidemic. And he shared the same confidence that I could share a century later. And someone else shared two centuries or four centuries or six centuries before. Here's why, right? Because you can see it in Jesus' hands. You can see it in Jesus' side. So when Jesus showed his disciples his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And I want to say to you, 2,000 years later, that no matter what happens, you can always rest in the hope that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and in your place. And if you've received by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel, you've received that eternal life, then the cross is always our hope. And we'll see just a moment, it's also our motivation. We see this throughout the pages of scripture. Now what's interesting is, and I hesitated whether to share this particular verse, but I wouldn't have hesitated this verse six months ago. This is just right from the book of Romans. Paul writes, writes a letter to the church at Rome. Here's what he says in Romans 14, 3, 8, 14, 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Now don't miss that. That's not the normal uh, phrase that we use, but it's been our Bible for centuries, right? Been our Bible for millennia. And, and here it is. It's always been true. It's been true in plagues, It's been true in wars. It's been true in your personal crisis that may be greater than anything that's going on in the country right now. It's always true. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So here's what I don't want you to miss, right? So the disciples were glad when they saw the resurrected, though crucified body of Jesus. They were glad because they knew Jesus' death on the cross for their sin and in their place changed everything. And if you're maybe watching, streaming, and you're not a follower of Jesus, 
and you're watching this from a church that maybe is in your community or maybe another community someone invited you to, can I encourage you not to leave this moment without responding to the good news of that gospel? Without responding by receiving by grace and through faith, that eternal life, that forgiveness of sin. And we respond to God's work in our heart by repenting of our sin. That means to ask God for forgiveness and say, Lord, forgive me. I can bring that directly to him. And upon receiving that forgiveness, I, I, it's as if the, my sin is as far as the east is from the west. And so knowing that, well, Jesus has been resurrected. It changes everything. The cross is always our hope and our motivation. I want you to miss this because it's not just our hope, but it's the motivation and the reason that we're not hiding away in this time. You see, I told you before that this is not the crisis. The crisis is coming, but this is time for the people of God to stand up, not to be on pause, not to be locked away behind closed doors. You say, you say, pastor, but but I mean, we've got, we've got social distancing. I like physical distancing better, but, but yeah, we do. And yet we can do things. Christians all over the country, all over North America are actually finding ways to serve their neighbors, finding ways to serve the marginalized and the poor and doing so in ways that follow the guidelines that we have received. We can physical distance and still care for those who are without. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, the masks are gonna fall off and the church of Jesus Christ is gonna live. This is our moment. It's gonna be who we are called to be. Not on pause, but on mission. So number one, fear is the opposite of faith. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. Number three, the cross is always our hope and motivation. And number four, we always go because Jesus came to us. This is the heart of the passage. Some people say this is the high point of the gospel of John. Because 40 times throughout the gospel of John, Jesus has said he's sent. He says the father sends him. He's sent by the father and the father's name, different variations of him being sent. And then at the end of the gospel of John, he says this, he says, as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Let's look at it. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Don't miss those four words. Second time, right? But then as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you as the father or in the same manner, it's aute in the Greek, the original language that the New Testament's written in. It means in the same manner, not for the same purpose, but in the same manner that the father sent Jesus, Jesus says he is sending us. And in moments like this, this is the time when Christians making responsible decisions. For example, there are people who will be watching this who have to isolate themselves because they have conditions that would put them at extra risk. Well, that doesn't mean you can say, well, I'm not gonna be on mission. You might then say, well, I'm gonna work the phone. I mean, these phone trees that we used to have and prayer chains that we used to have, they seem to be suddenly making a comeback. I talk to my neighbors and my elderly neighbors don't, don't have internet at all and they need someone to call them. And so if you're isolated, you can say, your pastor, your leader, your elders, your, your staff, your, uh, your, your volunteers and say, I, I can be part of the phone calling team. And then others can say, I can be a part of, well, a hundred different things, right? Matter of fact, we've created a website, coronavirusandthechurch.com, a partnership with different organizations, Saddleback Church's Peace Plan, Rick Warren, the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College and the Billy Graham Center there as well, so that you can actually have resources and ideas of what you could do. But I'm always struck by the fact that people today, Christians today, and Christians for 2000 years have always gone towards the crisis, have always sought to show and share the love of Jesus in the midst 
of the difficulty. It reminds me in some ways of my grandfather. My family, my grandfather was a fire battalion chief in New York City. My uncle was a New York City police officer, New York City cop, he would say. And I always remember my grandfather who had a great influence on my life saying to me, you know, as firefighters, fire, he'd say firemen. Today we'd say as firefighters, he'd say firemen run towards what everyone else runs away from. Firemen run towards the fires. This is actually a picture of, of his badge and my uncle's as well. And it reminds me that there are a certain group of people who don't run from, but run towards. And I believe that followers of Jesus in this time and in this day need to be ones who taking responsible precautions, following guidelines as given by your county, state, province, or national health department, that in doing so, we go towards the hurting, towards the marginalized, towards the concern. And I believe if we do that, God will bless this. Because here's why. Um, We don't know how long this crisis will last. Spanish flu lasted two years. Waves in and out, and we may see similar patterns. But but what I want to happen is, is what I wrote about in that USA Today article I mentioned. There was an historian by the name of Eusebius. He was a, he's a famous historian, actually, in the history of the church. And he, he wrote about the fourth century Christians in a pandemic that was much more serious and deadly than this. And he, not to say this is not serious, um, it quite is. But he wrote about these Christians and said the kind of deeds that they did. And he writes in some length about that. I I won't go through all that for the sake of time. But then he says, he concludes with this. He says, the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips. The Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips. Again, the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians, unquote. That's my hope and prayer that the church of Jesus Christ will stand up, we'll stand in the gap, we'll choose not to lock away in fear, but to show and share the love of Jesus in very practical, meaningful, and safe ways. Not saying it's without risk, not saying it might be without cost, but saying that this is our time. This is our moment. The moment's confusing, but the mission is clear. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's my favorite verse in the New Testament, John 20, 21. Uh, my favorite verse in the Old Testament is Isaiah 6, 8. It was a tumultuous time in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 6, 1, it says the king, King Uzziah has died. And we think of the death of a monarch or royalty as a time of mourning, but it was a time of fear uh, those centuries ago. In the year King Uzziah died, and then Isaiah tells of this vision that he has. We don't have time to unpack it all, but here's where it ends. Let me put it on the screen. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Can I ask you with Isaiah to say, here I am, Lord, send me to prepare yourself for the crisis that may come at different speeds and paces around North America. But ultimately there's one thing still to be true. God is a people and he's called those people on mission. And yes, fear is the opposite, always the opposite of faith. We don't need to be living in fear. We need to make wise, prudent decisions. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. You can have peace that passes all understanding right now. Three, the cross is always our hope and our motivation. Can I just tell you that the Lord has this and he's got you? And fourth and finally, we always go because Jesus came to us. My prayer is that your response and my response might be like Isaiah's response. Here I am, Lord, send me. Pray with me. Father, we're reminded by your grace and your goodness, you've redeemed us and called us by name. You've sent us on a mission for your namesake. 
And Father, I pray that churches, well, this church and churches all around North America and ultimately around the world might be filled with Christians who hear the words of Jesus as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And their response is, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what we say, each of us and together. Here we are, Lord, send us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.